0: Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to The Back Row, retrospectives from what I watch tonight. It's my show to discuss movies I think are great with someone who happens to share the same opinion. And joining me in the back row tonight and in the blue corner, it's the Angel of the North, usually at the movies, but thankfully not tonight. It's Caroline Ames from Let's Go to the Movies. Caroline, Kaz, how on earth are you?
1: I'm really good, really looking forward to talking about my all-time favourite film, Million
0: Dollar Baby. Oh God, I was just saying off air that I've been waiting to speak about this film for, I don't want to say how long, but I've never been able to find somebody out there who loves this film. And of course there are people out there, but you need to shout louder. You need to shout as loud as Kaz, because I cannot wait to dive into this uh, with you. Before we talk about the film, I mentioned Let's Go to the Movies. That's that's your website to talk film. So for those out there who aren't aware of you, and if they aren't, why aren't you? Do you want to just describe what uh, your site dives into and the work you do in, in in the film fandom?
1: Yeah, so basically I started Let's Go at the Movies in February 2009. Uh, basically to do my own sort of little log on which films I was seeing at the cinema. Um, go to the cinema a lot, uh, have a cine world pass. So I just thought starting a blog up, reviewing films, making lists would just be the perfect thing to do. And obviously 11 and a half years later, I'm still going.
0: 11 and a half years. (laughs) Wow. That's a hell of an achievement though. And um, you're a member of the uh, OAFFC, which is the Online Association of Female Film Critics, uh, which is a wonderful organisation. How did that come about?
1: Yeah, um, you just can sort of like apply if you've got a site and you've reviewed so many films and you're active and you get involved and help promote each other, Um, especially obviously with everything that was going on with uh, their Different things with females in film, just bringing everyone together and having that voice. Um being part of that as well this year, I actually received my first ever Oscar screeners.
0: Nice. Nice. Which ones? What how many did you get?
1: Um I think I got four together. And oh, wow. Like they were sent from California and I was just like, this is amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm just up north in the United Kingdom and so on in California. That's um, awesome though. So uh, I haven't, I'm still waiting for my Oscar screen as they must have got lost in the post, I assume. They didn't quite make it down to Wessex. But, um, so what do you what do? You do? Do, you, are you, do you watch them? Is it all locked on like an online database or how do you how do you go about, you know, feeding back about those?
1: Well, they were sent as discs. So they were in like their own little um, little covers really, not sort of what you buy uh, Blu-rays and that. It was sort of like cardboard and it had like for your consideration and had the different things on. But I'd seen the films because um, one of them was Hustlers Another was um, Us. So I'd seen those at the cinema, but still to receive them was was pretty impressive.
0: It must be a right pat on the back for yourself, because having a having a site for 11 and a half years, not just a site, but actually maintaining it for 11 and a half is one hell of a job. Plus, obviously, getting uh, entry to, like I say, a wonderful organisation like that. And then getting us the screener's. That must be pretty sweet. And you mentioned that you're at the cinemas, the cinema all the time, as your um, site title would say. When was the last film you saw? Because obviously, we in the UK, we're still in lockdown, and the cinema kind of, and the cinemas have now opened, but they're playing a lot of the old retro hits. So, have you been back since?
1: I have. Yeah, I've been twice so far. Um, <laughs> I went to see The Dark Knight uh, two weeks ago, and then I eventually caught up with Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which I'd never nice. seen before. Nice. To see it on the big screen, that was pretty good. Um, And then I'm booked up to see Batman Tomorrow Night, the 1989. And then the best thing ever, extended Lord of the Rings next week.
0: Yes. Which one? Is it all all three of them?
1: All three. Jesus. I've waited forever to see the extended editions on the big screen. So I'm very Is is that
0: like a marathon?
1: Well, I'm doing Fellowship in uh, Two Towers on the Wednesday and then Return of the King on the Thursday. I thought that wouldn't be by itself because I thought if I did two towers, Return of the King after each other, I thought that would be harder.
0: You need that break just to sleep and eat because (laughs) the the extended editions, they were three and a half hours long each and about 27 minutes worth of credits. I would love that. And I've got a Sydney World Pass as well. And I'm quite tempted to go and check one of those out. I remember seeing the theatrical editions at the theatre, and I've got the extended edition, but like you say, big screen, big sound, that's what I'm all about. And The Dark Knight, I remember seeing that in the cinema. I went opening night for that, and that blew me away. And uh, Batman, that will be interesting to see how that holds up on the big screen, the 89 version.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm hoping because they've released the 4K uh, Blu-rays that it's going to be 4K on the big screen, because obviously mm. I haven't seen that one before on at the cinema. so. That should be good. Because the Dark Knight I saw that three times, but I eventually got
0: to at IMAX. Some of it is filmed in IMAX, wasn't it?
1: Yeah.
0: yeah as Nolan does. But well, we've got Bill and Ted 3 is now being released on VOD, so I haven't even got to get up to go and watch that one anymore. But that makes a bit more sense. But um I could sit here talking about film all night, but in the back of my mind I've got I'm being uh am getting left hook, I'm getting a right hook from boxing films. And I say enough I love boxing films. Rocky is one of my all-time favourite films. Uh, to be fair, I like all the Rocky ones, even the crap ones. <laughs> but, so boxing films have always been something I enjoy. So let's do it. Let's talk about Million Dollar Baby. But before we get into what Caroline thinks, what we're all here t- to uh, listen to, let's dive into the admin of Million Dollar Baby. So it's directed by Clint Eastwood, who had previously directed Mystic River, uh, Unforgiven, amongst others. Uh, and since this film, he went on to direct uh, Letters from Iwo Jima, Gran Torino, American Sniper, The Mule, Again, amongst others, he's done a fair bit Clint Eastwood. You've probably heard of him. And the film stars Clint Eastwood himself as Frankie Dunn, Hilary Swank as Maggie Fitzgerald, Morgan Freeman as Eddie Scrap Dupree, Jay Baruchel as Danger, Margot Martindale as Earlene Fitzgerald, Anthony Mackie as Sherelle Berry, and Michael Pena as Omar. Uh, It premiered and uh, released on December the 15th, 2004, so almost 16 years old. Uh, had a budget of $30 million, though $18 million, depending on who you believe, versus $216.8 million worldwide box office returns. Nominated for seven Oscars, Best Film Editing, Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Actor for Clint Eastwood. And it won for Best Actress for Hilary Swank, Best Supporting Actor for Morgan Freeman, Best Director, and the big one, Best Picture. So we're dealing with the big one here, Best Picture. What's it about? It follows uh, Margaret Maggie Fitzgerald, who is an underdog amateur boxer, who's helped by an underappreciated boxing trainer to achieve her dream of becoming a professional boxer, and the two form a close bond that will irrevocably change them both. Now, that's the admin. So for those who haven't seen Million Dollar Baby, it's about two hours and 15 minutes long, give or take. We are going to be diving into every aspect of the film. So this is your spoiler warning. We're going to talk about the beginning, the middle, the end, what happens to characters Uh, The things we love. We're diving deep this time. So if you haven't seen the film, spoilers. And that's the only time I'm going to say it again. So go check it out. Come back and listen to what Kaz and I have to say. Uh, And hopefully you'll agree with us. So uh, enough from me. Caroline, Million Dollar Baby. Why, why, why does this movie rank so highly for you? I think it just has a bit
1: of everything. In terms, of obviously, like you said, about boxing films and sports films in particular, our um, work in sport. I've sort of played a lot of sport, do a lot of sport. And I think just being able to see that on screen and what it means to someone, how hard you have to work, I just find that that like amazing to watch. And obviously the way that the film goes as well, it's, it's very deep. It has so many different things going for it. Obviously the performances are just outstanding and... Just
0: every, I just love everything about it. It does go quite deep, I suppose. You, you could say that about this film, and yeah, I boxing films get me. Like I said, whether it's the underdog story, the rise of the underdog from rags to riches. I don't know something about like the visceral, like raw nature of boxing. I think that just gets me. And I slept on this film for not not an awful long time, but I didn't see it straight away at the cinema. But when did you when did you first catch this film, and what were your first impressions when you saw it?
1: Well, when I first saw it, (laughs) I feel quite bad having to admit this, but it was on a bit of um, one of the dodgy VHSs. (laughs) Someone else
0: got it; it's fine.
1: Some people listening won't even know what a VHS is
0: or
1: Videotapes before DVDs. So I just remember watching it, and I just got this copy. Was told that it was like about a female boxer thought, oh, that'll be great. Obviously, female, sport, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I had no, no idea sort of which direction it was going to go in. I kind of just thought, oh, it's going to be like a female Rocky. Yeah. And you kind of think, all oh, right, it's going to be female boxer. She's going to sort of rise, rise up like Rocky. But then obviously, it goes a little bit different to that and we'll have a bit of a twist in there.
0: I was just, As you were saying that, I was just thinking in my head, what could have been? Because <laughs> I remember watching this film. I saw it about a year after it came out. And I wish I'd seen it on the big screen, like yourself, uh, like you said as well. Before we came on, I wish I'd seen it on the big screen. I remember watching this like, oh, this is great. She's she's knocking falls down left, right, and center. But then I looked at my watch, and I was like, we're about forty five minutes into the film, and she's KOing people in the first round like you know, nobody's business. What, what what's going on here? know I, I didn't think there was going to be the twist that we got, but I was thinking, what's going on? I mean, is she going to win the title, and then are we going to deal with? her on a come down like she's got to the top where does she go from here i was thinking oh, that must be what it's going to be they're not going to pull some fasten on us but uh, as we found out they did so let's uh let's talk about the movie then and what we do on retrospectives for those new to the show we basically talk about our favorite moments you know whether it's a scene a sequence a moment a bit of music uh anything that we loved about the film we're going to spend pretty much the rest of the show now diving into what we loved about million dollar babies so okay i mean. One of the first things that you can think of or that comes to mind when you think of this film that you love, uh, what, what, what what you got?
1: Um, I think oof, it's just hard to pick where to start. like the training sequences and sort of her age as well, especially when she tries to get Frankie to train her mm. and he, he just says no. First of all, because she was a girl, and the whole girly tough ain't enough, you sort of put that to her. But then she obviously had that extra extra sort of spark, extra thing about her because she wanted it so much. She was willing to work hard and obviously Scrap then helping her out a little bit. And it's just, I think it was just the determination from the character mm-hmm. and Maggie to do it. And there's, there's one scene where she's running on the beach and I just think that is like a perfect shot where she's yeah. running across the beach because there's no way harder to run than on the beach.
0: No, and it's about 4.30am as well.
1: Yeah, and she's obviously getting up before going to work, a horrible waitress job. Feeling the food from the plates because she can't afford it because she's paying to, to do the boxing, and I just think everything about what she wants to do is just so inspiring.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could have they could have made it really mawkish uh, had it been had it been written not not as proficiently and efficiently as it was because this is written so bloody well this film is. Then seeing a waitress like uh, take steak off someone's plate and put it in the tin foil for the dogs. And 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 they could have focused more on those aspects. But the the way they showed her her life outside of her dream, you know, the reality, I think they did, did that really well. They could, Again, they could have oversold that. They could have overplayed that. I think they got the balance right. And yeah, it's about somebody who has nothing to lose, wanting to make something of themselves. And what isn't inspiring about that? And exactly what you've just said, it is to drive. She goes into the hit pit, uh, Frankie Dunn's gym, which is losing money? We're told like every day, so I'm not making any money, and she she won't take no for an answer. And we get that kind of you know that the masculinity side of it. We're like, I'm, I ain't training no girl, you know. You know, girls aren't tough, blah blah. You know what, what? Basically, what kind of reflection is it going to be on me if I'm training a girl? And you get that kind of stuff. But I love how they don't spend all of the film trying to overcome that. More um, Frankie and Maggie have their tête-à-tête. Maggie won't give up. She won't back down, and it's her birthday when she finally gets what she wants. And before that, of course, you have got Scrap, played by Morgan Freeman, who, who lives at the gym, and he sees that she's staying late, and he gives her some advice, doesn't he, on um, how to use the how to use the heavy bag.
1: Yeah, and then he, he loans her the um, the speed bag. That's the yeah, one yeah. One Called there, where he gives her one of the really old ones because she can't afford it. I think his his sort of character art and story is really interesting as well, mm. because obviously he. We sort of find out as it goes on that he was a good fighter, but then had gambling problems with his money, didn't he? And yeah. that's how he's ended up there. And I just think when you look at all the different sort of boxers they have within the gym, they all that all got such different personalities and characteristics that it just shows like how broad it is across the
0: sport. Well, I mean, in that gym, you've got uh, you've got Willie, who is like the prize boxer. He's a uh, he wants his title shot. He's and it's uh, it's his fight. That Maggie uh, witnesses and she sees Frankie in the corner, like really passionately into in the corner of Willie, and she and that's what drives her to have want him and only him as her trainer. And of course, he tries to fob her off enough times. And then you've also got uh, Sherelle, as I mentioned, is played by um, Anthony Mackey, as we know from the MCU. You got Omar Pena, who's his kind of lackey, somewhat. Uh, Michael Pena, sorry, is Omar, who's his kind of like right hand man, punch bag. And then we've got Danger, who's played by Jay Baruchel. And when I watched this, rewatched this film last night, I forgot completely that Jay Baruchel was in it because I'm not always his biggest fan. I've got to say that now, and um, that's not a detriment to the character of Danger. But I totally forgot about that subplot. Uh, in terms of that, in terms of Danger and the and. Shirill and that, how do you think that factored into the film?
1: I think, in terms of like danger, he's just so innocent, mm. such an innocent character, and obviously, he doesn't sort of really understand when they're sort of like taking the mick out of him, really, because he's just obviously wants to be the champion of the world, but he never actually throws a punch at anyone. and <laughs> I don't know, you just kind of you feel a bit sorry for him, but he's happy when he's in there. Yes. So that's sort of quite nice for him. I think it's probably the like the purest character within it all as well, because he just he just sort of loves being around the gym. And obviously, what um, Sh- Shawell and that do to him is pretty horrible, really. But yeah. that then brings to what Scraps says about danger is the only fight I ever knew that was all heart.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because oh, of course, the film opens on Morgan Freeman's narration, and then like everybody knows. I want Morgan Freeman to narr- to narrate my life, just like most people do. And of course, the narration leads into something else at the end of the film, which I think, again, wonderfully done. But just hearing Morgan Freeman talk was enough to make me think, well, I'm sold. I'm into this. I love it.
1: When you hear his voice, it's like, yeah, I'm in.
0: It's that silky in your ears, isn't it? But yeah, he says, because they're talking about how Frankie was the baddest dude he's ever known. And they're talking about, you know, some people say that to be a good fighter, you need heart. And let me introduce you to a man who is all heart. And you see Danger, who, like you say, is a he's the purest guy there, but he's no boxer. But he's there because you know that's his like happy place, his safe place. That's all he's got in his life. And of course, the other boxers there are they look down on him because of his lack of ability and just him in general, like his physique and the way he comes across. And when I the first time I watched it, I remember thinking it's a bit of a strange subplot to put in. But rewatching it again and again, it it makes so much sense why why he's in there. And it also helps Maggie's story as well, because to be honest, when when Maggie starts training in the hip pit, danger almost gets more respect than her. You know, um, Scrap and even Frankie respond to him and actually speak to him more than they do Maggie, which I found interesting.
1: Oh, yeah, just it t- shows you like the hierarchy, doesn't it, within the place as well? Like someone new coming in and they're just a bit like, oh, and they obviously didn't have any of the females in there. And I think it obviously shows as well, like, female boxing wasn't, like, huge, because obviously, as we said earlier about uh, knocking people out in the first rounds and things, like, there wasn't much of a challenge. <laughs>
0: um,
1: but I do think it's interesting because um, the one who is, she was an actual boxer.
0: Lucia Riker.
1: Yeah, she she was an actual boxer, in with it. Because um, I always remember reading something not long after the film that Hilary Swank actually thought about going into boxing. No way. Because of the, tra- the training that she'd done. Um, and she just kind of was obsessed with it.
0: I know she went on a proper, like obviously on a boxing um, boot camp, so she could become like a, a legitimate boxer. If you're watching her on screen, you need to believe her. And, to be, and I'll get onto Hillary shortly, but I did believe she was a boxer on screen. I never knew that. Um, she actually almost pursued a career in it.
1: Yeah, that, that's that's what i read. I don't know how true that is because that was just something that I remember hearing like years ago. Mm. But you can imagine you would if you've, if she's put them out of time train and that yeah.
0: box-up <sighs> And And she's getting taught by um, somebody like Lucia Riker. Now, I'm not going to say I know uh, what Lucia's professional record is, but she's an absolute beast in that ring, and she terrified me. And I love how when she's... She, the All of the opponents she faces, apart from maybe the very first one, they, are, they don't look particularly intimidating. And I don't mean that derogatory. I mean, they are clearly there as punch bags and there's a reason why they're getting KO'd within, within a few punches but then you get someone like the Blue Bear and like the champion of the world and just the imposing presence that she bought was was like horrendous. I loved how they got her to do it but I didn't know that she was an actual boxer but it makes sense now.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think that sort of that fight against obviously the Blue Bear I think it just showed that it was then getting harder for Maggie Mm-hmm. And she had got to that sort of stage where, oh, this is actually going to be a bit of a challenge.
0: Yeah, that's right, because she was blowing everybody else over um, straight up before that. And like you say, she was cranky. Took her on on her birthday and was like, "Look, no questions, no questions. You do as I say. You don't ask her back. Just fight." He shows her the foot technique, and then she's at work bouncing back and forward on at waitressing on her feet. As we all know from boxing, your footwork is what makes you um a boxer, if you can't move on your feet you've got no hope. So much like a dance, they say. But he he fobs her off to this guy called Sal. So we're thinking, well hold on, Frankie may have got like he may he may have like warmed to her. Bloody hell. You know, no women allowed him I gym almost attitude to, do you know what? I quite like her. And then he sob fobs her off to Sal at the first chance he gets and I, I remember watching that thinking, I don't know I didn't remember Frankie being such a sod in this film for the first part.
1: Yeah, he wasn't very nice at all, was he?
0: No, um, <laughs> I get that. I get he'd have his concerns. You know, he's part of the old guard and his reputation, etc. Whether I agree with it or not, it's another story. But I'd forgotten that he fobbed him off. And obviously Sal, was, if Sal manages her in her first fight and we find out that he's only doing it to basically broker a deal for a better fight because she's getting her ass kicked, basically, and then Frankie takes over, because he, he, she's up against a, an undefeated fighter. Because when, when we first meet Maggie, I found interesting. She says that she was on the undercard, and she won her fight, but then when we see her, she is not that great of a boxer in, in the gym, is she, in the, with the punch bags? Yeah. It,
1: it was like, it's the difference, isn't there, between sort of the competition of boxing in a ring mm-hmm. to then actually learn and better techniques to help you improve in it yeah so she didn't really know how to move her feet she just was obviously a little bit quicker than the other person that she was boxing
0: yeah it must have been a fun fight to watch that one to be fair but um, see i i I've, i could never be a boxer have you ever before have you ever tried boxing
1: i've i've done sort of a little bit of like boxer fit and things like that. But what Fulham did make us want to try and do it?
0: Nice. Oh, I was only thrown out there just because he said he was sporty. I mean, if I got into the boxing ring, I'd get destroyed by, by anyone. So I, I I used to be sporty, but now sitting in cinemas for the last, God knows how many years, has uh, rendered me unfit. <laughs> I'll put it like that. But um, Yeah, and then obviously, so we're talking about that first fight and Frankie takes over to coach her, but that's kind of... The First time we see Frankie shift, isn't it? When he's watching that fight from the balcony and he's like, he's saying, you know, protect yourself, protect yourself. That's the first time we see Frankie's changing.
1: Yeah, I always I kind of wonder how much of it's sort of a double narrative in the fact that she sort of reminds him of the daughter that he doesn't speak to her anymore.
0: Mm, that's a great shout. Please, please elaborate on that.
1: So, obviously, we, we get we see him where he's writing letters to a daughter. Um, we don't know at age we don't know sort of anything about her but for me i always saw that she must have been a similar age
0: mm-hmm.
1: like Maggie's a similar age to to his daughter because of the way that he acts to start off with he doesn't really want to, anything to do with her because obviously reminds him but then when he is watching that fight and then he steps in i kind of feel that he's kind of becoming like a father figure to maggie
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that maybe she's replacing like his daughter which I think, obviously, we don't really find out what happens with that, or or what happened to her, or anything with that. But I, I quite like that about it.
0: No, we don't actually do. We find out about that, but we know at the end what Scrap's been up to. But we don't get a resolution with Frankie and his daughter. Which just, I, I again, it, you know, depressing. But I quite like that.
1: Yeah, that, that's something I like as well. Um, like one of the things that I uh, wrote down here as well was that it, like things don't always have a happy ending hmm yeah. This film doesn't, like, it It does have happy sort of endings at different times, but it doesn't mean that you're going to end up with a full overall happy ending. Everyone's buzzing, you know, like, it, life doesn't go like that, does it? And I think that's another reason why I love this film, because parts of it are quite realistic in that sense.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, even Rocky, it's a, it's an uplifting film, even though he loses his fight. It's to journey and it's to respect and uh, everything is made along the way. And I, I just assumed, maybe naively, that Million Dollar Baby would be the same. But like I say, after 45 minutes, and I'm thinking, well, she's taking people down easily here. There's got to be something coming up. But I had no idea what was coming. I'm not even going to pretend. I'm not even going to lie and say, oh, I knew something was going to happen like that. No, I had no idea what was going to happen. But on the point of the daughter and the, the happy end is, no, uh, yeah, I, exactly what you've just said. But in a film like this, I think it kind of works that we don't. Yeah, we get the very, very in, which we're going to speak about later, but we don't suddenly have him reuniting with his daughter. And I don't mean to sound like harsh and callous by saying that, but you don't have her turn up in the door, and like, hi, dad, I'm I'm back finally. Like, well, that came out of nowhere. You don't get anything like that. Everything kind of resolves itself naturally. You know, his daughter hasn't been returning his letters. In fact, she's been returning his letters. They've been returned to sender. It would be very strange if she suddenly just turned up out the hit pit and was like, hey, Dad, we'd just be like, well, "Where?" Did that came out of, no, that would feel like a forced happy ending. And Scrap, you know, Scrap and Dame to kind of get like a kind of happy ending, which is, we so you get that out of sort of shoots of hope throughout, but the film has been labelled as very depressing. Was I don't know if I fully subscribe to depressing, but it is a downer at times. But um, talking about the father uh, side of it, I've got in my notes here that the, well, I mentioned that first fight, but the time when Frankie really, to me shows that he's taken Maggie under his wing. as like a surrogate daughter almost is after, um, after for one of her first fights, she gets her nose broken. She has it snap back into place. And he says, look, you've got 20 seconds to end this thing before everyone knows. It turns into a, ge- a geyser, a geyser all over the uh, front run explodes. She, but she goes to the hospital to get her nose fixed and she, she gets called in. And she, as she, as the doctor's taken away, Frankie stands up and he looks really concerned. He's like, I'll, I'll be right here as she goes in. And I was like, oh, bless him. It's the sort of thing a dad would say to their young daughter going in to the doctors for the first time without the parent. And that to me stuck me as like the first time that Frankie was really, whether he wanted to admit it to anyone or even himself, that there was a bond there that he cared.
1: Yeah, you could see that was like sort of his little... He kind of got softer, didn't he, as the, as the film went yeah. on and as sort of things happened within the ring and sort of out of the ring as well, because mm. when you he meet her family as well, which is just pretty horrific, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and he to no, her family. <laughs> right? Poor Margot Martindale, right? I've obviously seen her in so many things, but I still can't get the picture of it out of my head just being horrible to Maggie and, oh...
0: Like, in a like Universal Studios she's top. <laughs> oh God, she's great. She made me hate her, as did the rest of the family, like um her daughter or Maggie, um who's just the, who's just grinning in the background with her kid half the time. It again, it's really hard to realistically portray a bunch of bastards, basically, and they did it so well because again, it could come across as schlocky, as cheesy, as OTT, but oh my God. The first time we see the family, because they're made out to be quite decent, you know, she sends money home. We hear, you know, my family can't wait to meet you, Frankie. I know my mother's really looking forward to seeing you. And she buys her mother a house or the whole family, this really decent little house. And, the whole, and then as soon as her mum sees it, she just complains, you know. And like her, her sister's like, there's no appliances here. And the mum's like, you shouldn't have got me this because the welfare's going to stop. Why don't you just give me the money? Oh, and then after that, when she's like, her mother says to her you know get a man live properly people laugh at you when they find out what you do and Frankie's in the background again just like inside you can tell he's fuming but when you meet her family it adds such a massive layer of depth to her and the film but to her because Maggie comes across as someone who's determined but also really quite a sweet person and then you meet her family who are just the opposite I
1: know you just wonder how how she's managed to sort of be so nice and sort mm. of caring, and still like sending the money back. And there was another part of the scene as well where where she had like the black eye from the fight, and she makes a comment about like Frankie doing that to her, and I, I was just like, no, that's wrong. I was like, he's like a dad. He's, he's like the father figure. I was like, you can't say that. I was like, there's nothing romantic going on between them. I'm like, no.
0: Yeah, leave Frankie alone, eh? He didn't do it. Oh, honestly, Margot Martin though were so good in that role. Um, and the family again that we'll, we'll we'll shout to the family later on when we get towards the ending. But that ain't the end of the family in this film when they become even more despicable as the as the film comes on. Anything else? I mean, we've got loads more. But what else have you got on your list which is just million dollar awesome?
1: I um, I sort of like put put about like the different relationships as well, like the one between Scrap and Frankie, sort mm-hmm. of best friend, best buddies, known each other for years, and just some of the little sort of stories between them a bit like um, sort of near the start when he takes the burger in for him Mm. and he's kind of like makes it look like oh yeah I got you this and he's like no I ordered it and I didn't want it like like, oh thought he was sort of being nice and then the conversations about like your socks as well
0: oh yeah that's quite a funny conversation actually
1: yeah and I I think it just like Frankie obviously cares about him a lot but I think he's sort of beyond help isn't he in terms of money yeah. Sort of look after himself and I think he mentions called the track as well, doesn't
0: he? That's it when he says I, I can give you more money for socks and and, and and something like HBO and stuff like that and something well it might end up going on the tracks. Can't I can't um lie and say it, it won't and it sounds tongue in cheek, but you, you can tell. Like you say, he's been given money for socks and his his nighttime socks have got his sleeping socks with holes in them his daytime socks have also got holes in them, but um, he gets money to get new ones and he's obviously not buying socks. So there's, there's something going on obviously with, with scrap, but yeah, I mean the, the relationship between the two old timers, Morgan and Clint, Frankie and scrap is just like match made in heaven. And again, it's almost like Frankie doesn't want to admit that he cares. Obviously we know he does, but he's too much of a man's mate. He's too grizzled. He can't admit that he cares. He, but, and the cheeseburger scene is, it's like a perfect encapsulation of that. He's come in late at night with a cheeseburger. So I, I didn't want it. I thought I thought he might want my off offshoots, <laughs> my discarded meat. Um, but yeah, they're, they're them together, and how we find out later on that Frankie used to train and manage uh, Scrap, and he was there on his final his hundred ninth fight when he lost his eye, and you kind of feel like he's never got over that, do you? Don't you? Like Frankie's never really gotten over that.
1: Yeah, that, that he he kind of feels responsible a bit, doesn't he? And- yeah. That's probably partly the reason why he's sort of still like looking out for him and looking after him. Um and it's just I don't know, it's just some of it's quite sad as well, isn't it? But it just highlights what can happen in the sport. So one minute you could be like Willie where he's had his championship fight, but then the next minute <laughs> you could be losing your eye like scrap digged. So yeah. like the, the brutal nature of the sport.
0: Yep. Yeah and maybe that's why I like it, the unpredictability, but um, the film doesn't shy, shy away from showing the blood and injuries in this film. But uh, yeah, those two together are excellent. Of course, Morgan Freeman won his best supporting actor uh, Oscar for this. And Clint Eastwood was nominated for, for best actor as well. But those, just the two of them together are so good. And uh, I think Morgan Freeman, again, I'm biased. I think he deserved his Oscar, but I think this is the best Clint Eastwood has been. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I sort of had a little check as well just to see who beat him, and it was Jamie Foxx for Ray that year.
0: Mm, okay. But the, oh, He was very good in that.
1: But Clint Eastwood was, was the only one that played a fictional character who was nominated that year as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so oh, wow. for me, I, I always think that it's harder to compare those performances because if someone's playing, obviously, a real real life character, you've got loads mm. of things to base it on. But yeah. I, I do agree. I think um, Clint Eastwood's just outstanding.
0: I mean, he's good in most, in most things he does, obviously, dating well back to his Westerns. But in recent times, I think this is, this is vintage. This is pure quality Clint Eastwood in this film. He's not just a, a, a grisly, grumpy old sod. There's a lot more to his character and throughout the film as well. He's so good. But Rachel, uh, Rachel, Jamie Foxx as Ray Charles was very good in that film. So again, it's, if you're going to lose to somebody who does a performance as well as that, then fair enough. I think Morgan Freeman was was excellent in this, and I think he deserved it. Morgan Freeman's is always good, but he brings a level of just pathos and it brings he elevates so much of what he's in. And so those two, I dig that. Uh, other relationships, what you got on your bullet points?
1: So like obviously, Scrappy Maggie, as we mentioned a little bit earlier about mm-hmm. sort of helping her quite early on. Um, I always hoped that when they went for the big fight, that he was going to go with them.
0: Yeah, and.
1: And he just didn't, did he? He just stayed. He said he
0: wasn't left at the gym. I see he's offered, he's offered the chance to like, taste the atmosphere of a big title fight in Vegas. And yeah. he's like, no, but if, well, again, we'll get into this shortly, but had Scrap been there, is it a different story?
1: Oh, it could have been, couldn't it?
0: Yeah, it could have been a different story. But uh, yeah, those two are great. And it's Scrap who really gives um, Maggie the first... Um, she gets the first bit of encouragement when he's teaching her how to use the bag and how to box as the bag as the bag slash opponent is moving away, not as it's coming towards. So he really gives her his first bit of advice and and the speedball. And um we find that Frankie's like, Oh, who could have given her the speedball? I wonder, and if Scraps like that nice old uncle, isn't he? Yeah,
1: and he like lets her train, doesn't he, when the gym's closed
0: and
1: mm. I don't know, he just seems to want like the best for, for her and sort of for others around him as well
0: hes just a nice guy all around, and it plays off well against uh frankie dun's who's slightly more he, he's a lot more of a personal character he doesn't wear his heart on his sleeve unless it's to the the priest of course he, he other than that, he keeps a lot of it in and he, but scrap and Maggie we don't see we don't get to see an awful lot of them from between the beginning and sort of bits in the end, but when we do see them on screen there is like a real there, there is a nice bond between them from the from the get go.
1: And then I'm just gonna mention one one of my favourite quotes from it as well, uh, which is said by Scrap, lovely Morgan Freeman's voice, and it's the mad it's the magic of risking everything for a dream that nobody sees but you. I just think it's like outstanding because you can take that and put it into your everyday life for yeah. whatever you're into, whatever you're interested in. I just think like Paul Haggis just had an amazing few years, didn't he really, with his uh, with these writings? Crash
0: and this Again, we, we we say that Morgan Freeman's voice elevates anything, but the material has also got to be good for, for to work. And the the monologues he gets, but just the still dialogue he gets as well is excellent. It's almost like it was written for him. But honestly, yeah, quotes like that are so inspirational and meaningful. And this film's got a few of them. But that's a great shout. Well, I hadn't thought about that one, but um, that's a good that's a good shout.
1: Because uh, I have actually read, like, the short stories that the film was based on.
0: Oh, I haven't read those.
1: It, it was years ago, though, so I, c- I can't, like, fully remember, like, everything about it, but it, it's a few stories mixed in together. So, obviously, when you were mentioning about danger earlier and saying <laughs> about, like, forgetting sort of his character and the big part he played, that was a different short story.
0: Right, so he had his own story.
1: So, so they've had, like like, a couple of them are sort of mashed together to make the film as a whole.
0: Okay, because it was a FX Two, wasn't it, who wrote those?
1: Yeah, Million Dollar Baby was just like uh, one of the short stories mm. that adapted it into like the bigger sort of picture that we see.
0: I knew it had been adapted from the short, so I'd never, I've never read them. So it's interesting to finally um, hear from someone who has done. But that makes more sense. And I guess if you, if you have read those short stories, I suppose then those little subplots make a bit more sense. I suppose, but um i mentioned the subplot of the priest i think that's a good relationship as well frankie and the priest because they start off well basically frankie starts off by basically winding him up the whole time he winds him up and to the point where the the priest snapped you know there's no demigods. So you're effing pagan and all that so which i loved that but they've got a great relationship as well which manifests into something slightly different towards the end and
1: as soon as you mentioned the priest that was the first quote that that I thought about. When he just like walks off. I think um, Clint Eastwood seems to like that in his films, doesn't he? I'm sure there's there's another film where he has like the priests in as
0: well. He obviously just enjoys winding people up about their faith, obviously. But clearly not a man who believes too much. But then Frankie is seen as a man who he's there. He's been there every every weekend for what decades? He says I can't remember how many years now, but for like twenty odd years he's been going to church, and he's the only one who's been doing that. So. Again, is it a case of he just doesn't want to admit that you know this is something he truly believes in?
1: Yeah, it could be because then obviously the daughter's mentioned as well, isn't it? Because mentions about like the letters and it kind of makes you wonder, oh, does the priest know a little bit more about this?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, like, they kind of like drop drop sort of little things in about her every now and then, don't they, just to sort of get you thinking a little bit.
0: Yeah, and it and it adds depth to the character of Frankie, uh, who, like we said, we, as we said, we know he's a he's an old grizzled. War Horse himself, but adding, making him more than obviously with the uh, subplot with his daughter, who estranged daughter who doesn't respond to his letters. So he's fighting that obviously his own personal demons with, with um, his past, his career, and also with the hit pit. Plus now when Maggie comes into his life as well, there's an awful lot there for Clint Eastwood to portray. And that's why I say, saying I think he's great in this, but as a character, I like that they didn't just make Frankie a, just an old guy, who didn't want to train a woman because that's not what they did back in his day. I love that they gave him more than that and that he overcame that quite quickly as well. I, I, I appreciated that about the character of Frankie, who I think was excellent in the film.
1: Oh yeah, totally. I, I do. I do. always like, I don't know if it's just with being female that I do always just like to try and believe that it's because it reminded him of his daughter rather than that. He didn't want a woman boxer in the trail. That might just be me being, you know, like my personal sort of take on that. That's yeah, yeah. Why- I've always just kind of gone more towards that. But I, I, I work in football, so very male dominated. Of course, so, yes.
0: Especially up in Newcastle.
1: Yeah, in like sort of a little bit of a different way. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's why I kind of always sort of hoped, and and then like it just raises the questions. Did his daughter used to box? Do you know? It's a she good show. Like it's oh, just so many questions, and I, I just that's what I love because you can just decide what you want about about her and. Did Maggie sort of fill that sort of void for him and replace sort of sort of give him a heart again type of thing? Because he seemed pretty pretty beat up and
0: mm-hmm. given up on
1: life hadn't he at the start? And yes, the whole Makushlu, um, and he just has a bit of a sort of second wind as such.
0: That's a hell of a point. I never th- I'd never thought uh, I'd never thought about that. Or maybe maybe he wanted his daughter to box and she didn't want to, and maybe that's what pushed them apart. And then in Maggie, he. Maybe in Maggie, he sees like a somebody who who he could, uh, like I say, fill that void who and put his passion into. Again, that then takes on a different angle as well. But yeah, I mean, that's what I love about film is what your thoughts on it are in terms of is it because he sees too much of his daughter in her, or or just sees his daughter in her? Is fantastic more so than just I don't want to train a girl because I mean that there are elements of both in the film, because he is literally saying, you know, girls aren't tough and how, you know, how is it going to look on me, blah, blah. But it, like you say, there is also, he's the the story with his daughter, which never gets fully resolved. There must be more to it than that, than just, oh, you know, she doesn't return his uh, letters. And that would make perfect sense for why he uh, is initially resistant and then uh, becomes the f- surrogate father, the father figure. That by the sounds of it, he couldn't. He never was for his daughter, and she never had. Even though um, Maggie speaks about her daughter and her father, sorry, in in good terms, a few times she mentions him. She speaks about him in you know positive terms, but obviously he's not around anymore. And Frankie takes that um, mantle, and yeah, that's a bloody good show actually with his daughter, and it just adds more depth to the character and to the relationship between Frankie and Maggie. And uh, before we get into Kind of like their relationship, Frankie and Maggie, Hillary Swank. I mean, what can I mean, I think she was uh, bloody awesome, bloody excellent, incredible in this film. I generally think she was magnificent, like somebody who embodies their role and like psst, blood, sweat, and tears into their role. Hillary Swank owned this role, and I think she was immense. Is this the time now we all going to say? Actually, I thought she was a bit rubbish. No, I thought
1: she was outstanding. <laughs> outstanding. You have to, though, don't you? Like You you couldn't like the film if you didn't like her performance. That's true, it, yeah. It is all about her, really, isn't it? I mean, as much as we've spoke about Frankie and Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman, even though Eastwood is in, obviously, the leading role, it's still all about her, isn't it? It's her, mm-hmm. her story, her focus. And, yeah, I just think Hilary Swank is just on a different level. And some, something I found interesting when I was doing sort of a little bit of research into the, the background that apparently she found the character of Maggie easy because she had a similar upbringing.
0: That's interesting. Probably helped as well.
1: Yeah, and I, I kind of I found that interesting, but I also found it quite sad as well because obviously, as you mentioned, like a family, it's what the Americans call trailer trash, isn't it? Yes. That That is like that upbringing.
0: I remember her Oscar speech because I watched it not recently, but a while ago. But I remember her saying something similar and saying something like. She also came from nothing like the character of Maggie. So, to be up here in front of all you guys winning this award, you know, what the hell's going on? You know, what's going on with my life for this to be happening? So, um, I remember her mentioning actually when she won her Oscar for Best Actress. And uh, again, I'm, some of the actresses she's up against, like Melda Staunton and Annette Benning, uh, Kate Winslet, I think, um, What well, it was, a, it was a, a stacked category, but she was by far the best that year. And this is one of the best. Performances I've seen in in any film. I think I genuinely do believe that I absolutely love the character of Maggie and how Hilary Swank portrays her because she's tough. She's got that steel, but she's also got that vulnerability to her, and she also just like we mentioned, she seems like a really sweet girl. So she's not just a perfect rags to riches story. There is a lot going on with her character and a lot to overcome. And I think Hilary Swank did so well encapsulating that. I think Sandra Bullock and lots of others were either up for casting or were actually cast at one point, pretty much. But Hillary Swank is perfect. I mean, it's easy to say that in hindsight now, but she's the, she's the actress we got and she was damn brilliant in this film. And honestly, uh, the her portrayal, like I say, it's one of my favorite performances of anyone in any film I've seen for, well, decades
1: it is it's just like outstanding, isn't it? and then obviously it was a second Oscar win as well mm. she won for boys don't boys don't cry,
0: I see yeah, yeah, but people forget that multi multi winner
1: <laughs> and then then she ended up splitting up with her husband not long after the second Oscar win as well,
0: yeah after she said something like um she's learnt from her mistakes, I want to thank my husband and uh, a couple of years <laughs> later,
1: how <sighs> so successful she was,
0: yeah, life gets in the way sometimes, um yeah. Obviously, then what, what happens in the film makes it all the t- harder to stomach because we grow to love this character, not because she's plucky, a, a plucky um, underdog, but everything about her. Like if when she when she's in her first fight, when she wins, like she's like genuinely so happy. There's no there's no airs or graces, no arrogance when she wins her first fight. She's just like really excited. Like wow, I'm bleeding all over the place, but wow, that was awesome, and it's really nice to see. And of course, Frank is dismissive. And he's having to fight against him the whole time. But she's so, she's so likeable, yeah, which then makes what happens harder to stomach. So before we talk about the twists then, was there anything in that in the first, I guess we'd call that the first phase, like pre-twist you wanted to mention?
1: Um, I think obviously just with what you said there, just going back to that Rocky link mm-hmm. because of the way that she was winning and working hard and training, like that was the same as Rocky, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Obviously, we don't get the punch and the meat and things like that in this one, but no, we didn't, we didn't really need that, did we? It, she didn't have that yeah. option.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think that would have worked in this film. But to be fair, with the um, vibe of this film, like the visual look of it, to be fair, punching a dead carcass probably would have actually fit in because this is a very grimly lit film. And I don't mean that negatively. The use of lighting and shadows is excellent, not just on the faces but and the bodies, but in the gym when... Uh, Scrap first confronts Maggie and you just see his lower half and then later on that's duplicated with Frankie when he comes to see her uh, and talk about the speed bag and her foot movement for the first time you just see his lower body and when they're in the car you just see the the, the lighting on their face and in the restaurant and just like bathed in shadow not the restaurant after the fight and they're having a meal talking about the title fights the the shadows across their faces are uh, just incredibly done it was uh, Tom Stern who's a cinematographer here. And there's a very green look to everything. Green is everywhere in this film. And of course, Maggie gets her, her gown, which I, which I think we should probably mention as well. But a little scene in the film before the fight, before the big fight, is they're driving home from Maggie, which before, after she gets her uh, Mo Kushler gown, which I wanted to mention in a minute. But they're driving home and Maggie's uh, talking to Frankie about how her she loved a dog. She had her best buddy was a dog called Axel. And then one day, you know, she saw the shovel in the back of the garden, and she, and she realised that the dog had been put down. And you kind of think, "Oh, that's a nice, you know, sad story." You don't realise how much weight that particular line has later on in the film. And, and but then they stop at a diner for some real homemade lemon pie, and I really liked the look of that real homemade lemon pie. But um, the Mo Kushler gown—so I mean, that that took on a life of its own, didn't it? And uh, I'd forgotten what it meant again on rewatch, but. That was a lovely moment as well because, again, we're talking about Frankie and Maggie's relationship, but that also sealed it as well when he when he got, got that gift for her.
1: Oh, yeah. It it was just like, you know, I think that just showed that he was there with her for her and, like, she knew that as well. Yeah. You know, like, he didn't have to do that.
0: No, that's all right.
1: Obviously, she didn't really know what it meant either, did she? No. <laughs> he didn't. Didn't
0: tell her <laughs> that's right because he's always reading his books and he's uh reading Latin and Greek and that. And then he brings out this thing which is Mo Kushler, and nobody knows what it means. And I like the fact that he just kept it from or, or pretended to not know,
1: yeah, just sort of said that he liked it. And, and then obviously, the Green ended up with them, um, the Irish following them, didn't they, as well? Yep. With a big, big following from the Irish
0: across the Irish Sea from here, closer to closer to you than me, actually. I would have thought, um, but yeah, and then the crowd because it's in a she's up against uh the British champion who, again, she can't win the belt because she's not British, but she's younger, she's fitter, and Maggie's having, a, Maggie's having trouble with this one. You know, it's not, she doesn't knock her out in the first round this time, but the crowd starts cheering, like Mo Kushner. Mo Kushner and Maggie eventually KO's her. And this is when we're thinking, is this going to be uh, the ultimate rags-to-rich story? But we're only 50-odd minutes into the film. So where do we, honestly, where do we go from here? And I was, I had no idea where we are going. And I, I'm going to say one more time, I, I'm not going to pertain to even say I knew what was going to happen. But beforehand, Frankie had been turning down title fights for, for Maggie as he had done for Willie. Willie left him, uh, which obviously was like a dagger to his heart, but then he went on to win the title straight away. Uh, I mentioned also Scrap and Maggie's relationship. At one point, Scrap does actually try to fob her off to Mac, the agent who got Willie the title fight to, um, just to further, I say fob her off, but to get to further her career, to make her a champion. So there was, there was that as well. But yeah, Frankie's been turning down title fights. But then the Blue Bear comes in, and Frankie's like, "Well, look, I'm the Maggie's the draw here. She's the one we're coming to see. Give us fifty-fifty, and we'll fight. And we get that fight, don't we? We do get that fight. This is where it's going to get tough to talk about, isn't it? It is right. I've got I've got the old Kleenex at the ready now. I'm bracing myself for this because uh, this is where the film takes a a massive turn. And there was nothing in the marketing. That said, this was going to happen, as, of course, you wouldn't want to spoil it, but nothing in the trailers which necessarily hinted at this. There's like one scene of Maggie in the hospital babe, but that could be anything. There's nothing in this. So when people see seen this for the first time, do not expect what happens in the fight with the blue bear. And she's winning that fight, isn't she, Maggie? She's actually, she's taking it to the bear and she's probably going to win that fight.
1: Yeah. I think it was it was set up that way, wasn't it? Yeah. It was set up ready, ready for it to win, obviously, the first million dollar Purse wasn't it for female fight?
0: Yep, split it down the middle. When because you say scrap wasn't there, and he's watching it, and when he sees the blue bear disrobe, and even he's like, "Sweet Jesus!" I'm not even going to pretend to do Mark and Freeman's voice, but he's just like, "Sweet Jesus!" How is she going to beat? How is she going to beat this? You know, physical like behemoth. It's like she's gonna, she's gonna get get hit kicked in. But Maggie does well in the first round and we know the Blue Bear is uh, is, she fights dirty and she elbows and she throws her way about and she gets a point knocked off. And Maggie knocks her down in the second and she seems to be on top but the bear is powerful. And Maggie dominates the third as well. And like you say, it's written that way where you're thinking, Jesus, this is, maybe she is going to become the champion. Maybe she's going to uh, become this millionaire and achieve everything she wants even though we're only halfway through the film. And then Oh, and then, like, one of the most, most sickening twists in film. When you first saw this, Kaz, what the hell? It, did, firstly, did you know this twist happened? And secondly, what did you think when you saw the sucker punch?
1: Oh, I had, I had absolutely no idea. Mm-hmm. Even even when they put the stool in and then yeah. she put I that, still, I still didn't think, oh, like, this is going to be bad. Do you know, like, it, it was just one, one of those things where I was like, all right, the stool's being put in. Like, why are we being shown that? Like, that's a bit yeah. weird.
0: It's a weird B roll.
1: And then obviously the punch and then the fall.
0: And then the noise, sound effects.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I had no idea that was coming the first time I saw it. And it's kind of a moment where everything goes silent. And you're like, oh, damn. Oh, Jesus. You're like, I it's just a shock again because you, you grow to really like the character of Maggie. And how Hillary Swank portrays And Frankie as well. You can see that Frankie's coming around. he's come round to her. He, he he loves he loves Maggie, you know, in, in a he's got that special like, paternal bond almost. And then when you see that, it just makes it even more sickening and even the blue bears almost looks like it's like Jesus, I well, oh, I oh, know. Oh, I was watching her thinking, was she like bothered by it? But it turns out she looks like she may have realised the error of her ways. But honestly, I had no idea that was coming. So again, we're halfway through the film here, aren't we? So when you're seeing this for the first time and not ex- expecting it, what do you think is going to happen now?
1: Still not what, still not what was to come. No. You, you just kind of thought, all oh, right, yeah, like the fight's had to stop. Not really then thinking how serious obviously it would be to hit or something like that, and obviously your neck and your back and everything. You wouldn't, you don't really sort of think about that. But then you, then you're like, why did he put the stool in? What, what did he do that for? Like. It just created so many questions where you're like, eh, what's just happened? Because you were waiting for that rocky moment, weren't you? Yeah, champion, get in, well done. But it didn't come.
0: No, and again, when you're watching it, yes, you hear the horrible, sickening gut snap, but there's also that kind of moment where she's in the hospital and she's awake and functioning, not from the neck up, but there is that kind of feeling where oh, maybe, maybe this is the moment where this is kind of the low point of the of her film, but she rises again. She gets better. She she um, recovers, and then she goes back for another fight and wins. And that's what, where the film continues. But um, no, it doesn't. And what's even worse is when she's in hospital now, because we're now we're in now we're in like post twist. So everything from now on is going to be met with a. <sighs> um, but when she's in hospital, she says to Scrap, you know, I I shouldn't have dropped my hands. I shouldn't have turned. I, I've always got to protect myself. Will you tell Frankie how sorry I am? And at this, and that moment, even though she's like, paralysed from the neck down, she still apolog- wants to apologise to Frankie, and that's heartbreaking.
1: Yeah, because it like wasn't her fault.
0: No, well, no, that's what he says. But well, no, I'm not going to do. I'm not going to do anything of the sort. He says. No. Um, and then Frankie blames Scrap, which is just as heartbreaking again because it's not Scrap's fault.
1: Yeah, because there was another thing as well, which I would actually forgot about until I was just reading something here as well, where it said about wanted to fly. And just said, fly there, oh. drive back. That's it. And then obviously Scrap said, she made a return trip by ambulance.
0: And she says it, doesn't she? Fly there, drive back. It's like black comedy, but it's, and because Frankie's in the opposite, isn't it? He? He's like, none of these doctors, these doctors don't know what they're on about. We've got, I'm trying to find someone who knows what they're talking about. It's Frankie being Frankie, isn't it? Uh, and eventually they move like six hours away, but, and fly there, drive back. But, when when Frankie blames Scrap, saying, "You know, this is your fault. You you pushed me the trainer against against my will. If it, this is everything that's going on in that room is because of you." And again, we you know that because you know the relationship between Frankie and Scrap, those moments was hit harder, and you're not sure whether he means it or not, or whether he's just speaking out of grief. But that kind of like one-two punch. Excuse the pun of Maggie wanted to apologise to Frankie, and then Frankie blames Scrap. After what we've just seen in the ring was a was again. It's just a, it was just like a, a massive gut punch. Yeah,
1: it well, was just just from that moment on. It's just you, you're just traumatized by what happened, aren't you? Really, and you are just even watching it again, you see, you still feel that same way, and you still cry, and you're just like, whoa. But then you see Maggie, and she's still pretty upbeat.
0: Yeah, and you just
1: think, how like how and it, but that just shows like her character and that she was still happy because she got the box yeah and she
0: wouldn't until that until the end when she you know it all starts to become too much but and you see the routine it took it takes hours to get her in the chair she haven't having to have oxygen pumped into her 24 hours a day um she's waiting for her family to visit so all of this going on and she still kind of retains some level of a positivity or an outlook because of what she's been through. And again, that line comes back later on in the film, which is just, its like the, I can feel my heart twisting the wrong way now. Um, when she says to Frankie, you know, I can picture you in a cabin with your books and your pie. And Maggie says, she'll learn to bake. There's still that kind of feeling that, you know, everything's going to be okay here. You now, maybe, maybe it may not go the way we thought it was going to go, but things are going to be okay. Frankie, they, they you know, the two are going to be, they're going to have each other forever to look out for each other, and it's going to be fine. And then the f- and uh, we mentioned Margot Martin now, but then the family arrived, don't they? And um, take it away with the family.
1: Well, she spent days watching out the window, hadn't she, waiting for them to come? And I do not believe they were Disneyland, weren't they? It's at Isn't Universal
0: right? Studios, yeah. And they've got a lawyer.
1: Yep, and the lawyer to trying to get it to sign some papers. Mm.
0: And, uh...
1: and the. Paper
0: even more doesn't it yeah the fact they bowl in with the um with the universal studios merch and the caps on and even frankie's like you know maybe we should come back i'll tell i'll tell him you turn that maybe she should come back later and as soon as you see the suit the businessman the lawyer there you know something's going on and they're so quick they're so quick to rush in and see her and they don't want frankie in the room and it, it's again that they couldn't be any more despicable but then you see that they're trying to get her to sign all of her assets over to their mother, and the mum's trying to manipulate her into taking all of her money for them. And even like when they're trying to say, like, "Where do we put the pin?" You know, you know, how do you how, how do make your mark? There's no sympathy, there's no empathy, there's no nothing on their behalf. They just what they just wanted. They took sort of a free holiday down to Florida, and a way of getting, you know, um actually securing their own future off the back of their paraplegic daughter. Yeah.
1: Kind of like when you met them, first met them earlier on. You kind of hated them, and you thought, "Oh, they can't get any worse." And then, and then it gets so much worse. Trying to get it to sign the papers and look after themselves after being so horrible and Mm. not supporting, not supporting her in the boxing sort of career that she wanted to do. And obviously, that that all they laugh at you is still in your head.
0: Yeah, even though she was, even though she was sending them money, uh, buying them houses, they still wanted more. and Nothing was ever good enough, and it was just ultimate leeches. But then you get that really satisfying moment when Maggie says, "You know, you to her mother, you never signed the house papers, so you never, you know, I own this house, so I can sell it at any time. So get your fat hillbilly ass out of here." It was so satisfying to see, you know, even it actually, it actually saw through them. At that moment, she's like, now I see uh, you for who you are, really. And it's such a satisfying moment to, to know that they're not going to get a penny out of her. And at the same time, she told them to get stuffed. Honestly, in the a, in a, in a second half or the final third of a movie, which is, you know, which has no form of levity, really. That moment was just wholly satisfying for me.
1: I know, yeah, because at that point, you're kind of just thinking, oh, this is just like low... Nothing, nothing else is going to sort of make you sort of happy or smile, but that certainly did.
0: Yeah. Please don't please don't let her mark it or just sign it and then realise later what's happened because that's too far. And I'm glad they didn't do that, to be honest. I'm glad that they didn't you know, have her be manipulated or taken advantage of in that way because I think that would have been a step too far, to be honest. And then with what comes next, she's got an infection in her leg. So she has a leg lopped off as well. So obviously everything with everything else that she's going through, she has a, a leg amputated from, from the knee down. As you said, we you didn't expect any of this to happen, but it's at this moment when when Maggie's mental state and like desire to live starts to take a downturn, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's just so tough, isn't it? It's such like a tough a tough thing to happen to anybody and then to sort of put it on screen and sort of creates a lot of debate around it as well, doesn't it? And what would then happen after that?
0: Yeah, it's what, what else could happen.
1: Especially when she tries to take it into her own hands, doesn't she, and bite her
0: tongue? Oh, well, that was a hor- horrifying scene. Because, yeah, Frankie gets a call in the middle of the night, doesn't he? Um, yeah. And she's trying to, yeah, she's biting her tongue and she's bleeding like, profusely, nearly bled to death. And then she, and they stitch her up, she does it again. But it's just a scene of her being held down, with like blood all in her mouth and like, dripping down her face. It was horrible, you'll see.
1: It just kind of, kind of showed that you, that that was when you could see that you just couldn't take that anymore. Yeah. And obviously, I, I suppose what it was doing to Frankie as well, because him going into her, and she probably sort of had that in her mind.
0: Yeah, I mean, even be- just just before that, Frankie is looking at colleges for her. He's like, oh, what a nice what a nice guy. Because he said, oh, I thought I thought maybe he'd like to go back to school and to you know to learn and do all the stuff he didn't get to do. That's you know, so was really nice. And then Maggie says, you know, I want you to put me down as my parents did for Axel. So that's that scene in the car, we're talking about her dog being put down now comes round, and his, his face, honestly, there's very slow zoom onto Frankie's face. And it's just like, it's it, it, again, it's like he's just been hit by a truck. And she said, you know, the world was chanting for me. I was in magazines. I saw the world. I was born two pounds. I fought to get into this world and I fought to get out, but, for God, please don't make me fight you for this, Frankie. But he's like, I can't do it. Don't ask me. Please don't ask me. And then she says, "I'm asking." And that's, that again in a in a film which has got so much heart wrenching moments. That's another one when we see uh, Maggie everything she's been through, and now she's you know she wants out now, but she's asking Frankie to do it. And I, Frankie's conflict from here on out is just a massive burden to bear, isn't it? It's, 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 just, it's so horrible and sad.
1: Yes, I think obviously that, that link back to obviously the dog and putting that sort of in there. I think we, we as viewers have that same reaction as Frankie, where we're like, oh man, no. When you, when you remember what happened to the dog.
0: Yeah. Oh, I can't imagine being asked that. Thankfully, I haven't been, and I haven't, thankfully, hopefully I never if I will who will, but it's built on their bond as well. And, at the end of the at the beginning of the film, Frankie doesn't want a trainer, and it's and Maggie's pushing for it. And at the end, Maggie wants this, and Frankie's refusing to do it again. It's it's like it it starts with that and it ends with that, but of course we get something different as well. But it's, Frankie goes to see the priest, doesn't he? And they've had their banter, and they've had their japes and their jokes, but he goes to see the priest for advice. And of course the priest is like, "No, you, you can't do this because you know you'll be lost." from thinking that the priest thing could have been a strange subplot it ends up being quite a powerful moment I think that scene with the priest
1: yeah I think up until that point we probably thought oh like what's the point in having the priest in sort of why why have we got like a couple of random scenes with that other than really funny funny moments (laughs) when he swears at him I do think that's funny just with him being a priest yes Um, comes
0: out of nowhere doesn't it
1: like coming full circle to that end, it's obviously very important.
0: Yeah. And, and and another great line, he says, she's not asking for God's help. She's asking for mine. And that is, a, that's a great line, but also it's in the delivery. It's in like the rest, almost unrestrained fury almost of Clint Eastwood, the way he says it, he's asking for mine. And the priest's like, if you do this, you'll never find yourself again. And the conflict within Frankie this moment did you think when you're watching this for the first time if you could remember what did you think was going to happen so if it's this to happen you know what we all know Frankie and then he's going to the priest and he's being told look you're going to be lost and he's not he doesn't want to do it did you think he was going to do it
1: to be honest I can't really remember the first time mm-hmm. now but I think yes because now that you ended up sort of like that and wanted him to do it he was going to be lost anyway, yeah. because he was lost before she came along. So not going to then have her anymore. So I, I don't know. It kind of it kind of just make makes sense, really, doesn't it? That he did do it, which I don't know. It sounds pretty harsh saying that. No,
0: yeah, but there's was. I guess, I guess there was no other way to end the film either. Before we get into that, because if he hadn't have done it, then Maggie would basically forever be living in uh, like this very. Horrible state of not wanting to be there, and would would Frankie keep going back? You know, would 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 he kind of look at himself and be like, I can't, I can't keep going back to see her because every time I see her, it, you know, she wants me to do this, and I can't take it anymore. So, I guess there wasn't really you know any other way for him to go. That's just my opinion, but um would you agree with that, or or did you think that, or are you thinking that they he could have got a way of not doing it somehow?
1: No, I, th- I think you had to do it to protect her, because she would have just kept trying to bite her tongue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think she would have kept doing that and doing that, and that was probably worse than what he did.
0: Yeah, him having to see that as well, yeah.
1: Because obviously with what he did, it was a bit quicker, wasn't it? And sort of a bit more instant and a bit of a nicer way. if We can sort of say that. It's really hard no. without like being sort of offensive in that sense. Well, it's true though,
0: because from what in in the way you're saying is that obviously a a painless way compared to a a very a painful and bloody way as well. I mean, yeah, you could say that quite easily, yeah. Um, and before that final moment, then we get Frankie goes to see Scrap. He's already accused him of or put everything on Scrap's shoulders. You know, Maggie is is she's paraplegic now. She's she's lost because of you, Scrap. You, you wanted me to do this. Everything's your fault. He takes it back. And what I liked about Scrap is he's like, you're goddamn right it's not my fault. There isn't like a loving, tender moment between that. He's just like, damn right it's not my fault. But the way Scrap kind of says, you know, Maggie got her shot when so many others does didn't. And, you know, if if she dies today, her final thought will be, I did alright, and I think I can rest easy of that. And I love how Scrap isn't, you know, he you can tell it's weighing on him still, but he's accepted that Maggie from where she started to where she ended she probably has done everything she ever wanted to do so if it is going to win today then she's not going to go out unfulfilled and I like how Scrap is almost he's he's kind of like the he's the everyman he's the link between the characters and the and the um, audience and I think how he said that was wonderful
1: yeah just it brought it all like full circle didn't it so he sort of basically he's like narrating over the whole thing isn't Mm -hmm. he yeah through everything, and just bringing that through, and obviously Morgan Freeman being so perfect yes. with his, voice. I think it just it just adds to it, doesn't it? And it kind of kind of soothes you in a way because you kind of like, all right, okay, yeah, that make that makes sense.
0: Well, you're right. You are you are right. It's it's almost like a reminder that before we get before the characters get to their end game, you know, Mor- um, Morgan Scrap is saying, you know, it, this isn't a. It's awful, but at the same time, Maggie, she started here. She wanted to achieve something and she did achieve and she's become more everything she wanted to be and maybe this wasn't the way she wanted to go, but the type of person she is, she's going to look back and think in her last moments and think, you know what? I didn't do bad at all and just the way Scrap's like, you know, I, I could sleep easier of that. It's He's made, he's made peace with what, what is going to happen or what could happen. But Frankie's still very deeply conflicted. So from what Scrap said, from what the priest said, from what he believes and what Maggie thinks, but then obviously we get, we get to them, we get to the end of the film, which is the, the very final kind of moments of the film. And what, if, what were you thinking about that? And so, I mean, if we're talking about, you know, would did you think he was going to do it? Should he, did he, if he did, Frankie goes in and he administers what he wants to do. But that final sequence, I mean, how did that make you feel? <laughs> yeah.
1: It's it's hard to sort of sum up and talk about really because while you're watching it, you're pretty much sobbing.
0: Yeah, no, you're.
1: But while it's obviously going to be horrendous for him to deal with, he's kind of doing her last wishes. Mm -hmm. In that sense, I suppose it's quite nice, if you can call it nice. I don't know. It's just it's such like a a moral dilemma, really, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's those situations where. What is right for that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's started off as a boxing film and ended up as a story about euthanasia basically, didn't it?
1: Yeah, I think it caused a little bit of controversy as well, the ending.
0: I can imagine it did. I bet um, it did.
1: But that's just one of those things where it's it is really tough, isn't it? The sort of you can't understand how you would feel if that sort of happened to you.
0: Oh yeah. And I mean things only cause controversy if if there's something behind it, if there's maybe an authenticity or if it hits close to a bone of some sort, I can see why certain groups or organisations would look at this in an unkind light. But I don't, think that, I don't think that was the intent of the filmmakers to make a light of euthanasia or of disability or anything like that. I don't think it was, um, unless I'm mistaken or unless you believe differently.
1: Oh no, I I don't think so either. Like, um I think obviously at the time when I first watched it as well, I prob I probably wasn't really old enough to understand all yeah. of that sort of thing, you know, sort of around it. Because how old had I have been then? Seventeen. Mm-hmm. Seventeen when I first watched it and I don't think don't think at seventeen I really sort of understood the more moral things about that. Mm-hmm. Um but some, something that was quite funny, actually, because I did watch it not that long ago. And obviously when she's saying I'm 32 now, I've just turned 33. So yeah. <laughs> I'm watching that, I'm like, oh, I'm the same age now, which is, I think it's something that's amazing about with films. If you go back and watch different ones and then you realise you're now the same age as the characters that you've watched for the past sort of like 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Oh, my God.
0: Sometimes it can make you feel great. Other times it can make you think, oh, shit. Oh, God, no. Yeah, I think I was 2005, I would have been... Yeah, 19 going on 20, it's about similar ages actually. Here, yeah, so and I, I'm the same, but I don't recall watching it for the first time and thinking, ooh, <laughs> I bet people aren't going to be happy about that because it shines a light badly on this. I don't think anything like that. I was just like completely swept up in what was going on. And it's not just the visual, it's what they're saying to each other, and how obviously Frankie he kind of sneaks into the hospital, but even though the door's very loud, but he does make sure that nobody sees him come in. But and M- Maggie awakes and sees him. And it's just the way he's so, he's so softly spoken in this moment. Of course, he's not going to bowl in there and start shouting, but he's just like, I'm going to disconnect your air supply and you'll go to sleep. And I'm going to give you a shot and you'll stay asleep. And I was like, oh no, oh please, I don't want to see it. And, and, then, he, and then he says to what Mo Kushler really meant. And I'm watching this last night and thinking... Oh, God, I, I'm about to, I, I can feel that. I can feel the welling coming up in my eyes. It Just sat I mean, there's a few moments, but especially that moment when he tells her what Mo Kushler means, my darling and my blood. And you, get, you see that single tear rolling down Maggie's face. She smiles a smile. And of course, that's a little smile. And that was her last movement. Her last movement was a smile. So like the world fades away with a smile. And I was like, I can't, I've got to let them all out now, sitting there blubbing away. But it was just, it's powerful, isn't it?
1: Oh, massively! Like you're just like, oh, that's what it means. You kind of feel, you feel the same as her finding out because yeah. he kind of keeps it a secret, doesn't he, for a while?
0: Yeah, he said if you win the fight, I'll tell you what it means. Didn't he? For and he's like, I'm not telling you. He didn't win the fight. I'm not telling you.
1: It, it did always make us wonder how many people would have thought, oh, he's actually a dad.
0: That's a good point,
1: actually. Because she's my doll and my blood. Wait a minute. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All along, that was her dad. That was her dad but um, that's a good point, actually. I'm glad they didn't go that route in a real film, of course. But, um, uh, <laughs> that would have been horrendous, wouldn't it? Just to make, I, I Am Your Father. I'm sure they've done that in another film somewhere else before. But Yeah, that's familiar, isn't it? Yeah, oh, mate. I, honestly, that moment, I was just like you say, it's just, I'd like to meet somebody who watches that and feels nothing. Even if you don't like the film, I'd like to meet somebody who watches that scene and thinks, oh, bloody hell, get, up, get on with it. It's just heartbreaking and the way he disconnects the air and he gives her the shot of adrenaline and then she's gone and it's a shot of frankie when his lips quivering you know he's he 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 can see that she's gone and you know tough frankie the wall of man just breaks silent his lip quivers and he and he kisses her forehead oh god and then scraps narration then he walked out i don't think he had anything left it's it's heart-wrenching it's beautifully done it's beautifully done, like the silence of the scenes is beautifully done, but for Jesus Christ, it's powerful stuff.
1: <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's just, it's just kind of like perfect, really, because it's so shocking because of everything that's happened when everyone just thought, oh, yeah, we're going to see a female Rocky. Yeah. She's going to be a champion. It's going to be happy. It's going to be <laughs> all of this. And then you kind of get flung into this really deep, deep and sort of meaningful relationship between the pair, the sort of father-daughter a little bond, and then tragedy, and you're just like, what?
0: <laughs> it's a hoot, not it? It's like, oh, great. Um, I guess as a female, then, watching this, you're going into it thinking, oh, great, we're going to get, finally, we're going to get a, 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 an underdog story with a female boxer. She's going to rise and she's going to become, it's going to be an inspirational figure who's going to end up winning. In, I think so, you're not the only one who thought of that, and, I'm, and I know I wasn't, and I'm sure plenty of people did. As a female then, how do, how are you viewing this film? Which starts off as that underdog rise rise of story and ends ends like this, ends obviously with with her with her dying. How how did you view that then?
1: Um I think I still I still sort of saw it as like she went she went for a dream, do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? She She gave it an amazing shot, she was kind of there obviously a total like freak accident happened like you couldn't you couldn't sort of make that up really could you in terms of the way that it unfolded with the stool being placed in but i still think in terms of like female characters especially when apparently we didn't have any until wonder woman i think people need to watch older films don't they (laughs) yes i just i think it's like an incredible female character and i think at the time as well even even though like obviously had the the tragic end I think at the time, that's probably why I instantly loved the film and kind of was like, it quickly became like my all-time favourite film. Yeah. And it's, it still is. Like if I do like a top list, it, it's still at the top, which sometimes people are like, really?
0: you honest but Yeah, watch the film again and you'll and see like, why. Yeah.
1: But then when, when I sort of look at lists I've done with my favourite films, a lot of them are quite depressing and don't have happy endings.
0: Mm-hmm. It's just a, those real stories, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I don't know what that says about me as a person. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I mean, don't get us wrong. Like, I love ones, love films with happy endings as well, but I just think sometimes the ones where it has a bit more to it, the, I don't know, the, just offer something something it's else. It's right.
0: predictable, isn't it?
1: And I think the fact as well that it won obviously best picture, mm-hmm. yet don't really seem to talk about the film that
0: much that's a great point uh why didn't what i mean again i mean it could be there's, there's the plethora there's hundreds of reasons probably but why is that because yeah everyone talks about our question of one and people say green book shouldn't have won i personally thought that's a great film but nobody me. talks about why million dollar baby deserved to win yeah it's,
1: it seems to go like i don't know it seems to go under the radar a little bit um you would you would hope the fact that it's been on um has it been on amazon and netflix in recent times yeah it has yeah uh, I think I think I wherever it's on I watch it. Yeah. You know I have I've had it on DVD, Blu-ray,
0: VHS,
1: on, on Apple, yeah dodgy VHS. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Like you hope that when things are on Amazon, Netflix, that especially if it's got like Best Picture, mm. because personally I like to try and watch things that have won Best Picture or yeah. be nominated. I have like an ongoing Best Picture project, which yes, was I've something. Seen that. Yeah, I kind I kind of just started it to try and watch sort of better films or make better choices about films. Mm-hmm. Because if they've been nominated, there must be something decent in them.
0: Yeah. Plus it's, plus, it's a good opportunity just to watch films that may have slipped under the, your own radar as well. I, a lot have slipped under mine.
1: So let's let's hope that this actually encourages people to go and watch Million Dollar Baby.
0: Well, it bloody should do. Not. <laughs> if not, we'll have cats to deal with. Um, well, looking at who was up for Best Picture, we had Sideways, um, which I'm gonna not going to lie... Never seen it. Never actually heard of it. Uh, Ray, Finding Neverland based on, you know, the man who is Peter Pan and The Aviator with um, Leo DiCaprio, Kate Blanchett um, by Scorsese and we'll see Million Dollar Baby. So out of those five films, Million Dollar Baby is by far the best. And a lot of people may say The Aviator, but Million Dollar Baby. And I'm going to maybe this could be heresy to some, but maybe because that year wasn't particularly stacked. I think that's why it doesn't get spoken about. Maybe because it deserved to win, rather than that there's five incredible films here. How do we pick one? Um, or like the whole La La Land Moonlight scandal. Whereas to me, this seems like more of a game set and match. It was there to be won, and they won it. Rather than I think Million Dollar Baby. Maybe that's why it didn't get spoken about because it was, it was probably expected to win. It did.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen all five of those films.
0: Hmm. Are you seen Sideways?
1: Yeah. Is it good? It, it is actually. I think I think you'd enjoy it. It was a film that I never fancied because mm-hmm. I just don't, don't really like the sound of that. <laughs> but I actually really enjoyed it and, it and it's pretty funny as well. It is it is a nice little journey. I, I would recommend watching that one. Mm-hmm. I, I do find The Neverland a strange one to be nominated mm-hmm. because I didn't really think there's very much to
0: that film. Well, no, yeah. Um, the Aviator's a good, decent and Ray is... I think Jamie. I think Jamie Fox. I mean, I think Ray's a very good film. I think Jamie Fox's performance is better than the film, but I, that's yeah. my personal opinion. But yeah,
1: a bit like Gary Oldman in which one was that called again?
0: Oh, uh, the Darkest Hour.
1: Yeah, like as a film, no, but performance, yes. Like sometimes that happens, doesn't
0: it? Yeah, and that's, that's a good shout. And he, people say the same about. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody and Rami Malek again a lot of people liked Bohemian Rhapsody when it came out and now they don't Mm -hmm. Uh, but again there are the people do give reasons but I think for this year 2004 or the 2005 ceremony I think the, the right film won and maybe because for me it was the logical choice maybe that's why it doesn't get spoken about or maybe it is just one of those films that has just slipped under the radar and is known in certain circles as a damn good film but, I mean, it made it made good money off an $18 million budget or 30 depending on who you believe. You know, it made like five, six times that amount back, if not more, slightly more than that, actually.
1: Yeah, I think the US box office, it was top for like a good like six to eight weeks or something, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, so it's not like no one's ever heard of this film or it only made, it's like only made like $35 million and, you know, it, it was like a smaller independent flick. It's, a, it's Clint Eastwood, it's Hilary Swank, it's Morgan Freeman. All three of them are won Oscars at that point. It's a big vehicle for three excellent actors. Or um, maybe maybe people do just realise that it's a bloody good film and don't feel the need to speak about it, if that makes any sense. I don't know, but it's a good point.
1: i tell you one thing about the Oscars, though.
0: Um,
1: I couldn't believe it wasn't nominated for original score.
0: That's a good shout. So Clint Eastwood did the score, didn't he?
1: Yeah, he did that as well. And For whatever reason, I think I just assumed that at least being nominated and then it hasn't and I was just like eh because no. I remember, um, I remember like buying the CD as well with the music on and I just I don't know I just think even just listening to that separate as well is just like haunting because you remember different scenes and
0: that's it yeah it's what, it's what you remember
1: himself, didn't he directed it
0: <laughs> it's like a proper labour of love and it shows so because it doesn't just become the Clint Eastwood story either but the amount of effort that he, because obviously he's seen this screenplay by Paul Haggis, and he's just, "Oh look, I want to, I want to direct this," and the amount of control he took creatively, it goes to it's a testament to Clint Eastwood's multiple talents that he can star, direct, score, uh, produce everything else he did in this film, and for it to go on and be nominated for seven, but win four, including well, four big awards. The only, the only, the only other big one it missed out on was like, his own actor award it won for uh, best actress best support one actor best director and best picture i mean literally was only missing his best actor award to get a complete like big five clean sweep and yeah. it's a massive testament obviously to every single person involved but to clint eastwood as the as the face of the film in terms of uh, bringing it to the big screen it's a huge huge uh pat on the back
1: especially when paul haggis was actually going to direct it as well
0: I heard this year, and I didn't, uh, Clint Eastwood was like, "No, I, I, I really like this one. I would. Would you mind if I take over?" it worked for them, didn't it? It worked. Well, it did, yeah. It's. I'm just looking. I mean, Sideways won Best Adapted Screenplay for that year, uh, over Million Dollar Baby, The Motorcycle Diaries, Finally Neverland, and Before Sunset. So, it was an adapted screenplay, from what you can remember, you know, was Sideways a deserving winner? And I know again that is all hypothetical and. Opinions are opinions, but was Sideways a better screenplay?
1: I suppose I can't. I suppose I've got to say Million Dollar Baby. I know it'd be my favourite film, and I have yeah, only you to. <laughs> but I do think that after that, though, I think you need to try and find Sideways and watch it and see what you think.
0: I will. I've just seen Alexander Payne's director now. I didn't like Downsizing, uh, but I do like some of the other films he's done, so absolutely I'm going to give that a, give that a look. So, in terms of, yeah, it's funny that it doesn't get spoken about as much as. It clearly should do because it isn't just us gushing about the film. Like I said, it, it's a it's an, a, a lauded film. It's an acclaimed film.
1: Another bit of useless information for anybody that likes this type of thing that it was the first best picture winner to be released on Blu-ray and
0: HD DVD. That is a cool fact, actually. That is a because you think. Oh wow, this must have been for like the mid nineties. Two thousand and five, uh, it would have been released, wouldn't it, on DVD?
1: Yeah. But that was back on HD DVD.
0: Remember when that and Blu-ray were having like a competition? Yeah, see but I remember that. that. <laughs> HD, so many D's. HD DVD doesn't, but as Blu-ray rolls off the tongue, HD DVD. Nah, I'm not having that. It's like, I'm not having that whatsoever. So I guess yeah. to wrap up the film, when we find out that Maggie is now gone and Frankie has kind of found peace of himself, we find out that um, Scrap, he's been narrating the film. He's actually been narrating, what he's writing to Frankie's daughter about what kind of a man he really was. And he says a great line that, you know, I hope he's found somewhere between nowhere and goodbye, but it's probably wishful thinking. So the whole time the scraps narrating is it's, he's narrating what he's writing to Frankie's daughter. And Frankie's in that roadside cafe with a lemon pie. What a great ending. What a, honestly, what a fantastic way to end the film and actually give narration some meaning as well, rather than just having it because it's Morgan Freeman.
1: Yeah. It just like, I don't know, I just think it adds to the perfect sort of nature of the film as well, doesn't it, where sort of things that have been mentioned earlier on are then there at the end. So it just brings it all nicely, wraps it up sort of full circle and it you're kind of watching it still crying, but you're kind of like, oh, that's nice, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Did he buy that roadside cafe? You know, what did he do with himself? When he sat, and I, and that's what I said earlier on, and that's why I like what they did to this film. But they didn't show... Frankie buying that cabin in the woods or not that cabin in the woods, but buying a cabin in the woods or buying that roadside cafe or have him reconcile with Scrap in the hit pit. Cause we see danger coming back, who is referred to as a ghost after obviously Sherelle beat him up and then Scrap KO'd Shirelle with another satisfying moment we didn't mention, but that yeah. was a wicked moment as well. But we didn't no. get no. <laughs> with one arm as well. we like one arm it takes him down. Um, but the fact that we didn't get those, you know, melancholy moments at the end. I, I think it actually works to the film's credit.
1: I, I thought with that um obviously Anthony Mackie and Michael Penner mm-hmm. that was this was kind of their first like big film really. Yeah. I know Anthony Mackie was in um the Mancurian candidate. candidate trilogy, yeah. But looking at the filmographies of them, um this was kind of the first sort of like big film really. And I think a lot of people watching it would be surprised to see them both in it.
0: Yeah, I'd sure. forgotten Michael Pena was in it.
1: Yeah.
0: I remembered Anthony Mackey was, but I've just forgotten because obviously they're only, really, you know, they're supporting roles, they're tertiary, secondary, tertiary characters, but um, they're important to the direction of the film and obviously seeing what they've both gone on to become, not just in the MCU, um, but, you know, they've gone on to have decent careers as well. And again, it's funny when you see people, where people are now and where they started and they both started in a film like this. It's not a bad film to start in or to really oh. get your big break.
1: No, not at all. I think obviously when the you're in big franchises, you kind of get sort of sucked into that world, and people forget what else they've done. Yeah. Because I did actually look that um, Michael Pena was actually in another boxing film, Calcium Kid.
0: I, I haven't seen that film.
1: Have you heard of it before?
0: I have never heard of it before.
1: Orlando Bloom in kind of like a Rocky type um, film, which no, I am. I'm going to rewatch it. Because I haven't watched it since obviously it sort of came out. But yes, I was an Orlando Bloom fangirl.
0: <laughs> well I mean oh. they had those eyes in the Yes. Yes.
1: So, so I will be watching that again because I sorted my DVDs out and I've got it ready to go. And I have a feeling that I'm not going to enjoy it as much as I
0: did. Uh I've just I've just had a look at it. I I actually I recognised the poster, like the big black letters and the big red letters. Um, but then I've seen it's a British mockumentary comedy film with Billy Piper and Michael Pena and Amid Jalili as well. Was like, where on <laughs> earth is this going?
1: I do have it on DVD and I think I paid full price for it as well.
0: Wow. wow! Well, I will tell before, I'm I in no place to um, speak because it is a 2004, it came out six months before, eight months before, Million million baby. So maybe this was the catalyst for that. Maybe Clint Eastwood saw it out and was like, do you know what? I want to make my own boxing film based off Ronnie Kona. And uh, Rafe, Sp- Rafe was in this film as well. Wow. Um, I'll go and check it out. And I love boxing films, but this is one which has um, slipped by the radar. One I saw recently called Jawbone a couple of years ago. That was incredible. Yes, really I saw that as well. Great. I'm glad you like that. It was um, Johnny Harris and Weller. My boy Weller did the um, score for that. But anyone who not see Jawbone, go and check out Jawbone. But um, So just oh, on...
1: Follow me on Twitter after reviewing
0: that. Really? I think he still follows us as well. <laughs> Oh, blimey! Well, it's about million dollar baby. Then I, I, I think I may know the answer to this. But we are every, every retrospective show. We always give the opportunity. But was there anything in this film which you thought wasn't quite up to the standard of the rest of the film? I'm loath to say you didn't like or the worst moments, quote unquote. But is there anything in which, you, which you watched and thought, you know, I'm uh, not so bothered by that?
1: Oh, uh, I suppose it's probably a bit cliche, but
0: no, no, yeah, that's fine. Again, listen, listening to whatever shows, most people say that as well. So. There's no issues. I have nothing. The only thing that, that really bugged me was I really wanted lemon meringue pie after the film. <laughs> I couldn't get any because it's really late over here in the United Kingdom, and I didn't have my mask to wear to the supermarket, um, so I didn't get my lemon pie. But honestly, no, there wasn't. Honestly, I mean, there's lots of things I can see people watching and thinking, oh, really? like you mentioned of the stall, you know, the stall being put in at that angle. I can see people saying, oh, no, really, or well, little things like that. But no, not to me. To me, this film is damn near flawless.
1: I think it gets better
0: with each viewing as well. Yeah, once you understand that, once you know what's coming and you can look out for other clues, like we mentioned about the paternal bond with with Maggie and uh, Frankie and how the other characters uh, work in that uh, dynamic as well and the moral side of it, uh, it it, it. It's a layered film, which again, I don't know why it's not spoken about anymore, but... As you said, it should be because there's so much going on in this film that it deserves a reevaluation.
1: I think as well, obviously, you mentioned about age as well and sort of when you watch things and mm-hmm. sort of your life has a bit of an influence on how you feel yeah. about watching something. So sometimes it is good to go and revisit a film that you watched years ago. Sometimes it kind of backfires and yeah. you think, Oh, I used
0: to like that. A oh. well, calcium kid, maybe. But um, <laughs> um, do you reckon then, before we move on to what the listeners thought, do you reckon it it, it hasn't been really re- this is this, this could be flippant, but do you reckon it's been it hasn't been reevaluated, quite or given the love that it damn well deserves because it is seen as a bit of a downer? Uh,
1: possibly. Because I suppose when if you see, like, lists of films that people make, it's often, like, feel-good films and
0: mm-hmm.
1: sort of happy films and things like that. Um, but I don't know. I think sometimes it's, it's hard to sort of get that when it is, like, my favourite film. Um, I will be releasing my top 50 favourite films, so it's not necessarily going to be film... Not all of them are, like, great films, whereas, like, obviously this one kind of ticks the box Books have been
0: one of my favourites and a great film. No, and that's what I love about film. I mentioned it already, it's subjective. My, my best of list, my top 50, probably look a lot different to yours. I'm sure there'd be some crossover, but there are films in there which some people would be like, what the, f- what the hell was that doing in that? It's just awful. But it means more to someone else than it will do to somebody else. And that's what I love about it. And maybe that's maybe a million dollar baby won't be for everybody because it isn't the feel good Hollywood film. But that aside, it's f- damn good technical films are wonderfully written it's powerfully acted it's in my top I think it's in my top three favorite films or my top three best of all time so it's right up there and ever since I've seen it it's had a massive impact on me and um for those listening for the wonderful listeners thank you again for your ears I cherish them um I put a poll on Twitter and Instagram and asked you know what did you think of the film would you like it on Twitter eighty percent of you liked the movie and twenty percent didn't Whereas on Instagram, eighty-seven percent of you liked it, and thirteen percent of you were wrong. So a lot of um, so eighty to eighty and eighty-seven percent of people liked it. So again, it's not unanimous, but it's as, as good as so eighty and eighty-seven percent. I mean, are you kind of are you, are you agreeing with that, or would you expect it to be a little bit higher? Um, I, th- I think I'm
1: quite happy with that. Yeah. I'm quite happy with that result because obviously we were saying we weren't really sure. People don't really talk about it very much. So the fact that that obviously shows it's more loved than not. Yeah.
0: No. And uh, in terms of some of the comments we've got, uh, I'll read out a few of them. Uh, Joe who said one word, powerful. Uh, The Lone Wolf said one of Eastwood's best, not only as a director, but this might be his finest performance as an actor. Bang on. Uh, My buddies over at Superhero Pole Plus said, stupidly waited years after its theatrical release to make up for it watched it literally back to back in the same day so great in every way clint's direction is mastery of light and shadows illustrates throughout acting a plus highly recommend dominic hastings said it's deep uh sean hudson know him good guy said uh the way this film ends is horrific uh, and kelly hofston said i cried so many times during this um that was just a, a flavor of the comments coming in and all positive, but obviously accepting that the film is very heavy. So, um, yeah, that's what I was saying about whether people like it or not. Very small um, smattering of comments there, but all positive again. So that's got to make you feel good.
1: Oh, yeah. And all different as well, weren't they? So they all hit on all the different things we've talked about. Yeah. Those different comments hit the different different parts, Or.
0: shows we know what we're talking about as well so thanks guys for the pat on the back for myself and cas so i so i think that wraps up our million dollar baby conversation which i say with um a hint of regret because i enjoy talking about this film and i'd like to talk more about this film and i wish as caroline said i wish other people spoke more about this film so um, if you haven't seen the film sorry for spoiling every aspect of it but go and go and check it out it's a fantastic film and um, so for the last what hour, and 40 minutes, you've all just heard Caroline speaking, Million Dollar Baby and film as well. So uh, for the guys out there, if they want to find you online, if they want to follow your work and read your work, uh, where can they on social media? And what's the link to the site?
1: The link to the site is let's go to uk, And then on Twitter, it's let's go to the MOV7. That really doesn't read very well, but never mind.
0: Um, and then I do have my personal one, and Instagram is Caza 7 There you go, Kaza 7 and let's go to the MOV7, I guess. And then, yeah, let's go to the movies. Check it out, because Caroline mentioned the, the list. There is a ton of lists on there going back, well, about eleven and a half and a half years, of like the best films of the year, the Oscar films, different type genre films. It's incredible to, to read. You will go down the rabbit hole a bit, because there's so much on there. It's great but I recommend going to read the detailed insight into films and the one that the FC thought very prevalent to get on board as well. So uh, Caroline, I thank you so much for coming on and giving up your evening to speak some Million Dollar Baby.
1: I've absolutely loved it. It's great to talk, be able to talk about it.
0: I echo that. I'm so glad somebody else enjoyed this film as much as I do. And thank you for your insights and to your thoughts, which I hadn't thought about in some of them. So you've um, entertained, you have entertained me, but you've also uh, educated me as well. And I am going to watch the calcium kid and sideways at some point over the next few weeks. So uh, guys, if you want to find me usual places, what I watch tonight.co.uk, the reviews are now actually going up on rotten tomatoes after about a four month, I say hiatus. Other people would call it laziness because the cinemas weren't open. Uh, what I watched tonight, Twitter and Instagram. We are on Facebook as well, but uh, mainly those two. And if you're listening to this, which you are, if you have a spare 30 seconds, please do consider leaving a good uh, rating and review on your podcast provider of choice. And if you know somebody who loves films and especially Million Dollar Baby, do let them know that there's a podcast where a couple of legends just spend the best part of an hour and three quarters chatting about why it's so good. If you didn't like this, what you've just heard, just keep it to yourself nobody needs to know anything about that so uh, thank you again for listening caroline thank you again for coming on and until the next episode from me see ya